BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, 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 guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Dream Bigger Podcast. So I am in this period right now, post-bacterial cough you know, in like recovered. And I'm going through this period where I am extremely productive and just like getting things done at a really accelerated rate. And I feel like it just kind of happens after you've been sick because you're just so grateful to have all this energy and you're all of a sudden super motivated. So I'm just really happy. And I wanted to give you guys that life update. And also actually I was thinking I would do an episode, like a solo episode on productivity, but I am kind of trying to pick between that and an episode on travel because I'm headed to Italy in a few weeks for one of my best friend's weddings. And I was thinking it would be really fun to maybe do an episode around travel essentials, what I do for health and wellness while traveling, um, how I keep my digestion on point on the plane. And then obviously things that I do for jet lag as well, because I feel like I have that routine on pat. So let me know, send me a DM on like what you'd prefer basically on Instagram. And yeah, I'm excited to do that solo episode either which way. So let's talk about this week's guest. It is with Taylor Frankel, who is the co-founder of Nude Sticks. Now I've been an OG Nude Sticks customer for a really long time. I started using their all over face color. I want to say in like 2016, 2017, like really, really early on. And I feel like I've seen their brand go from this like brand new beauty brand to this like huge, like extremely successful kind of mainstay in in the beauty world. And I've followed Taylor on social for a really long time. She does the most amazing makeup tutorials, like just like very achievable and like great for everyday vibes, which is all that Nude Sticks is really about. They really want to show people that it's like practical makeup. You know what I mean? It's not these like multi um, step kind of unachievable looks that take a really long time. I feel like Nude Sticks has always been about practicality and efficiency and just like really like a beautiful no makeup makeup vibe. So 
big fan of the brand and I knew really early on that I wanted to have Taylor on the pod at some point. So this is a very, very exciting um, conversation for me. And I think you guys will take a lot away from it. So we discuss everything from how Nude Stick started to Taylor's role in the in the brand. She kind of leads the brand marketing efforts. And I have to say she does a phenomenal job and how she manages, you know, social media with life. And it's a really, really just like juicy episode, which I think you guys will appreciate and also have to call it out. But Nude Sticks is a Canadian brand. And you guys know I am always so excited to connect with other Canadian founders and just like support other Canadian brands. So it's just been really nice for me to see this Canadian beauty brand take off and has that's done so, so well. So excited to bring you this conversation. But before we get into it, let's talk about this week's hot tip, which I'm actually going to make the nude sticks um, all over face color because I've been using it for so long, as I said. And it really is one of those like mainstays in my beauty bag. It's always in my makeup bag. Wherever I go, I always have one of them. I think I use the shade Honey. It's like really nice to give your face that like, like just like a bronzy kind of look. And just it glides on. It's a really beautiful product. So if you haven't tried that yet, I highly recommend you do. And then let's get to this week's review, which I'm just opening up. So this week's review comes from Cohen Marissa Faith, who I actually know we DM all the time. She found me through the Almost 30 podcast, I believe, and we've been DM friends since. So she says, inspiring and uplifting. I love every episode of the Dream Bigger podcast. As an entrepreneur and a curious consumer herself, SIF brings listeners along for inspiring, real and expansive conversations. She offers a great balance of sharing her knowledge and the perspectives of her guests who are leaders in their own industries. Sif is relatable and open and speaks of topics of health, wellness, career, relationships, and more. I learn something new from each episode and always feel more uplifted by the end. Her tangible tips have helped me optimize my own routine, and she inspires me to incorporate new practices and products that she has tried and tested. From her array of products to her content, Sif has helped me feel more inspired and confident in my everyday life. This is such a nice review. Thank you so much, Marissa. This really means the world. And you guys, reviews really do make my day. They make my show. So if you do feel like the show brings you value, please take a second to leave me a review and rate the show. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcast app, scroll down to the bottom where it says rate and leave a review, hit five star for rating and tell me what you like about the show. Tell me what you guys are learning from, what kind of guests you want to see. If you have any dream guests, let me know and just give me feedback on the kind of solo episodes you want to see. I love hearing from you. It helps me shape the show and I just really appreciate that dialogue that I have with you and I just really appreciate it. So if you have a second, please leave a review. And with that, let's welcome Taylor Frankel to the Dream Bigger podcast. So the first question I always ask my guests is, what was your big dream when you were growing up? Hmm. (laughs) It's interesting because both my parents were entrepreneurs. So they were both self-employed. My mom has been in the beauty industry for over 20 years. My dad was in a completely different industry. And I never had parents that had a very traditional, Hmm. you know, work life. My mom traveled a ton for work, growing her businesses, you know, obviously, you know, my dad as well. And so when I envisioned what I wanted to do when I was older, I never really had one set career path. I, I never had, you know, parents that were lawyers or doctors or, you know, a very specific 
career. Whereas a lot of my friends like knew exactly what they wanted to do at a very young age, whether they wanted to go into accounting or medicine or law. And I was a little bit more creative. And so I I knew I wanted to be in the creative industry and, and field, but I definitely didn't know that it would take me or lead me to the beauty industry, which is pretty ironic because when I was younger, like I, I really did not love beauty. Like I, I was definitely, you know, integrated in the industry because my mom and, and I loved products, but I was kind of like that girl who wanted to brush her brows, but didn't brush her hair and really wanted minimalist makeup and in a time that it was really about more is more. And so because of that, I never thought that I would end up in the industry, but ended up being like, you know, the reason why I am in the industry today, which is kind of interesting. But yeah, I knew that I really wanted to work for myself. And I don't know if that's... Yeah, it totally makes sense. It's so funny that you say that because my dad is an entrepreneur as well. Mm -hmm. And I remember when my brothers were little and people would ask them, what do you want to be when you grow Mm -hmm. up? It was always like, oh, I want to drink coffee and work out of my office because that's like the only thing that they saw when they were little, you know? And for me, like I always wanted to go into something creative as well. And like I bopped around like within like so many different things. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be a performer. And then like, you know, down the line, like when I, I guess like grew up, I was like, okay, like I, I definitely want to do my own thing. I want to work for myself. Mm -hmm. So I want to chat a little bit about nude sticks and exactly what you said, which is that you were always the girl who, you know, didn't really want that more is more look. And I feel like that's really what nude sticks is. Like, I mean, we were chatting a little bit offline and I've been a huge fan for years and I feel like I am you. Like I'm very minimal with makeup. I just want something that's easy, like no more than three minutes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's what nude sticks has given me. So like, was that always the vision? Like what happened? And, you know, at that point, I'm guessing it was the more is more trend. So why the need to start this beauty brand, like with this, like less is more sort of situation? Yeah. So when we launched Nude Sticks, I was 17. My sister was 14. At the time, my mom had just exited her previous company. She had a two-year non-compete, eat, pray, love moment. And she had no intention of starting a beauty brand, especially with her two teenage daughters. But throughout those years, she realized that my sister and I viewed beauty very differently. And to your point, like it was very much that more is more transformational makeup time. Like if you went onto YouTube or Instagram, you know, it was really about these one hour makeup tutorials on how like to the get contour yeah. and <laughs> like the I mean, it was it was really a time. It was intense. Like yeah. looking at that like back then, I think most of us can look back and be like, oh, my God, like how did we have the time to actually spend that much time on our makeup or I mean, even I never did I yeah. could never get on board <laughs> exactly. I was like I just I guess this is something I'll never learn right and it was it was so funny because we would always watch these videos and and you know not the full videos we'd maybe watch a few minutes of mm-hmm. it and we would say oh my god like who actually has the time to sit down and watch these videos let alone actually do it themselves and the number of products yeah like, who is buying all this stuff like what on earth are you doing at Sephora exactly that's like a month's rent <laughs> Yes. And unless you work at Sephora (laughs) or you're a beauty influencer, you don't have access to all those products or need all of those products. So it was really about identifying, you know, what exists in the market. And and at the time, like there are beautiful brands, right? And that was 10 years ago when the market was saturated. And Mm -hmm. think about Mm -hmm. the market today, right? So we thought it was saturated, but clearly, you know, 10 years later, we, we have even more brands that are popping up every single day. But you know, back then, minimalist makeup and and quote unquote, no makeup, makeup, less is more, all of that was very disruptive. Like when we would bring that concept to retailers and we would talk about it, a lot of even retailers would say, well, that's not going to sell product. Like less is more. We want to sell more is more. Like we want to sell more product. 
And then we would have to educate them on, you know, this lifestyle and talk about how, you know, the woman today or man, you know, she wants to look like the best version of herself. And, you know, yes, on YouTube, you're seeing these more is more transformational tutorials. But if you actually think about the woman who's walking into those stores, who's walking into a Sephora or an Ulta, you know, getting her kids get ready for school or getting herself ready to work or doing her makeup before she's getting to school, you know, she has five minutes. And, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, she wants beauty products that are easy and fast and effortless. And those, that was us. Like that was myself. That was my sister. That was my mom. And so essentially like most entrepreneurs, we're just solving a problem that we identified and, you know, we're really creating beauty products for us and then realized that it was a global, it was, it was really a global solution for the woman today who, you know, wants minimalism. Yeah. 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 I mean, I couldn't agree more. And like, I think it was, it's, it's just funny to see like that evolution of what it was back then and kind of what it's become, because now it's like, kind of like the hottest thing is like less is more. And I feel like you guys have really been leaders in that way. Thank you. Yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> and I love that you've been using the products for so long. And as a fellow Torontonian and yeah. Canadian and, you know, always showing the love, which is amazing. And yeah, it's it's interesting to see how our white spice has become smaller and smaller. And it's interesting because I'm seeing a lot of quotes and different entrepreneurs speak about when when to know you have a good idea and when to know when it's the right time to mm-hmm, launch a business. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because a lot of people think like, oh, it's the perfect time to launch a business or it's the perfect idea when everyone's talking about it, right? No, it's like, too late. It's too late at it's that point. It's too fucking late. Everyone and their mom is trying to do that idea at that point. Exactly. So it's almost like it's that it was the perfect timing when, you know, we saw the white space. We knew there was something missing. We identified that gap. We, you know, did our research. We talked to peers. We traveled. And it again, it did take five years for people to actually adopt that mindset of less is more. And to be honest, I think the pandemic really accelerated it because, you know, people weren't going out anymore. They were sitting at their desks or they were on Zoom. And, you know, they realized that not only do they want to adopt this concept of minimalism for their makeup, for their skincare, but it was holistic. Mm-hmm. It was a holistic approach to beauty that, you know, really sparked, you know, this, this movement, I guess, obviously that transcended into beauty. But I think whether it's like wellness, like, you know, within supplements, Mm -hmm. whether you're putting it into your body, whether you're putting it on your face, it's like, everyone's like, well, why do we need all these things? You know, at the end of the day, like our health is of utmost priority. And like, we want to, that's, and everything else that kind of falls into place. Like we want it to fit into that lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Hey guys, it's me, Chriselle Lim, co-founder and CMO of Bumo. As a busy working parent myself, I felt like there was a lack of options for parents and I personally needed more support. So that's what we're doing here on Being Bumo. We're here to make your life easier, a little less stressful, and help you navigate through this complex thing called parenting. So subscribe now to Being Bumo at applepodcast.com slash beingbumo or wherever you listen to podcasts. Oh, gotta go. See you guys soon. First of all, when did you launch? Like, what year was it? So we officially launched in 2014. Oh my God, I was like early. I was like, like 20, what, 15, 16. I think I started using nude sticks. Like, not joking. I love it. (laughs) You were like one of the, one of our first customers. Yeah, truly. (laughs) Truly. I've been on this nude sticks train for a long time. (laughs) I'm telling you. I love it. You know what? It's, it's really interesting to hear when a lot of like friends of mine are people who've been using the brand for a really long time. And 
you know, for me, it feels like so much has happened since then where it's like, oh my God, like I can't believe like you actually were one of the early adopters because like our, even our product assortment has has changed so much. What was your first ever Nude 6 product? It was the actually like the still the product that I was telling you about. It's like kind of like the all over face stick. Okay. So it was yeah. in, I think the shade is like honey. I want Hey, say. honey. Yeah. Yeah. I still use it to this day. I love it. Like not you, the like, same one, gonna, but like... <laughs> I was going to say, is it the same product? No. Because those do last they, a really they long time. Okay, honestly, they, honestly, they last for like two years. Yeah. And I use that product anytime I have makeup on my face and like some form of like bronzer mm-hmm. contour. It's always that because it's like a great cream product. Yeah. So yeah, like I've known about it for a long time, been using it for a long <laughs> You're time. You're like, I was the first to to find nude sticks, to identify it hey was honey. Just, it was me. Yeah. I, <laughs> Only yeah. me. <laughs> I'm joking. So, you know, back then we were still on that, I guess like the edge of that really like Kardashian era contour makeup mm-hmm. to kind of what it's become today. I feel like people were maybe moving more into that, but did you have to do any like customer education as to why they needed this product and kind of try altering their behavior or I guess pushing them in this direction? Yes, a lot, uh, a lot of that. Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because when we first launched, you know, you had your early adopters like yourself who were like, oh my God, I've been waiting for something like this. Mm -hmm. Like I love minimalist beauty and I don't wear makeup all the time and I just want something easy and fast. And I'm a mom, I'm a student. You know, I only have five minutes to get ready. And then you did have like, you know, your, your new six fans or community members now who, you know, have adopted the concept, but it's taken a little bit longer. And To your point, I think we've really had to educate on why, firstly, also identify that you can't be something for everybody at the end of the day. Like you're still going to have like your makeup artist and your more is more, you know, people who, who want that. But also identifying like, what are those hero products that you feel would resonate with a larger group of people? And that's to your point about nudies, like the all over face colors, that was that ended up being our hero product and is our hero product today, which is a great product for like customer acquisition and really share, you know, telling our story, you know, speaking to minimalist multitasking makeup. So that was one of the products where it allowed us the opportunity to really, you know, bring in that customer and educate them because, because that product not only was for that girl who's like, I want easy, fast, effortless. It was also for the makeup artist who said, I want highly pigmented, beautiful shades of neutral. It could also be for you know, that girl, that more is more girl who's just like, you know, I want a product that I can wear on top of my full coverage foundation. Maybe it's a cream blush that melts into the skin beautifully. It's very buildable. It's very buildable. So with that one product, we were able to touch a lot of different types of beauty lovers. Mm -hmm. And I think that was like a great way to educate and get them to enter the brand and really um, allow them to discover all of our other SKUs and, and product assortment. But it took a lot of, firstly, social is an amazing platform for us. Like when we launched Nude Sticks, we didn't have the marketing budget to invest in totally, like, yeah. you know, your traditional advertorial content. So Instagram was, was our number one mm-hmm. platform when it came to marketing our brand and sharing, you know, our story and creating content. And so through there, like through that platform, we we're able to speak to, you know, why do we think you need minimalist makeup? And we identified who that customer is, you know? I talk about her a lot. Firstly, she's multi-generational. She can be 18, 35, 65. You know, she's your on-the-go, you know, girl who's getting to work, getting to school, maybe getting her kids out the door. And she wants beauty products that fit into her lifestyle. So once you kind of identify, you know, who that customer is, Mm -hmm. then you can, you know, speak her language and, you know, ultimately 
you know, get her to adopt your brand and mission. So then were you guys, you, did you guys just start off with those sticks or did you have other products like off the, like out of the gates? We had, so we actually started our first ever products. We had lip pencils, uh-huh. we had eye pencils, we had concealer pencils. And when I say pencils, they weren't like the chubbier. Yeah, I, I actually know what you're talking about because I, I had those as well. And what what's interesting though, is I still feel like they kind of, they are still a stick, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that was for us, it was really important because mm-hmm. we're like, oh, the, the name of the brand is Nude Sticks. We need to stick to the stick concept. <laughs> stick. But they were also all really multi-purpose. Yes. So like even if it was a lip pencil, it was your lip liner, lip color, cheek blush. If it was an eyeshadow, it was, you know, an eye primer, eyeshadow. Mm. So like every single one of our products had to do multiple things. And it's uh, still a pillar of ours. And so like whenever we're developing a new product, and it's becoming more difficult because there's only so many ways and so many products that you can multitask with. But now even like you know, with color, it's a little bit easier because, you know, it's really about multitasking and, and showcasing the product on different parts of the face. With complexion or even skincare, um, and more so even complexion like foundation concealer, we talk a lot about like the skinification of complexion. So what does that mean? It's like, how do you multitask in a way that allows you to use this product as a moisturizer to treat your skin, mm-hmm. you know, obviously to cover. So those are now like the ways we speak about multitasking. It, it's maybe not just like eyes, cheeks, lips. It's yeah. like, this is your you know, this is going to hydrate, treat, protect. Right, right. right? Or this is going to cover, conceal, treat. Yeah. So that's always like a pillar of ours to like how many ways can we, you know, ensure that we're we're adding the most value to this one product. So I want to talk a little bit about this because I think you guys have done this really well whereby you almost became known as that brand that was really minimalist and was very multifunctional before you even went out. And I think like started doing all of the other products, which again, now you fit under your umbrella and like it falls under your ethos. But I know that a lot of people like entrepreneurs who maybe start brands, they get into some hot water when they almost try to release like too many different products. Mm. And then they're like telling too many stories and it's just not streamlined enough. So can you talk a little bit about how you guys stayed niche and kind of captured that market? Yeah, it is always very difficult to, I guess, kind of stay in your lane in a way, right? Mm. Like, you know, to your point, you don't want to confuse your customer, Um, especially as you're growing your brand. You want to make sure you're super focused and, you know, offer a differentiated product. For us, you know, we have pillars that we always, always go back to and in our mission statement. And, you know, some of our pillars are firstly multitasking. Mm -hmm. So ensuring every single product that we launch is a multitasking product. So that story stays really, really consistent. Even if we're like, oh my God, we can't launch another stick. Like, because we've always launched stick products. We have tubes now, you know, we have (laughs) all these other types of components. (laughs) Okay, it doesn't have to be quite so streamlined. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But that was something we thought about. We actually, I remember when we're launching, right? Like, this is how detail-oriented. We're like, we can't launch a stick. I I fucking get it, okay? Like, I I own a product company. I like, I I so understand the struggle. And that's your, like, problem of the day. You're like, oh my God, what are we going to do? When we can't launch a stick. Yeah. We're like, there's like the formula won't allow us to do it. Like, I don't know what to do. Like, we don't know what to do. And so we said, if we're going to launch a different type of component and really steer away from the whole stick concept, then, you know, we need to ensure that we're speaking to our 
multitasking pillar. And so how do we do this? And like I said, it was really through the skinification of complexion. And then one of our other pillars, you know, is has always been effortless beauty, you know? So when it comes to whether it's our shades of neutral or ensuring that our formulas, you know, are easy to use and easy to blend and allow you to, you know, and just enhance your beauty. That was really important to us. Another one is sustainability. So in everything we do, we're looking at how do we make this product more sustainable from a formula perspective, from a packaging perspective. And then we also speak um, a lot about, you know, vegan, ensuring that, you know, our entire ingredient list is harmonized to ensure that, you know, we're creating vegan, cruelty-free beauty products. And then there's there, there's a few more, but ultimately, you know, those, once, are the major ones, those were yeah. the major ones. So what's really interesting here is that I think that if if you are kind of a brand founder, you are worrying about so many of the little, little details. Yeah. But what's really interesting is that when I think of nude sticks myself and I like I tell you as a customer, like what you guys are, it's like it is just effortless beauty and like multi-purpose kind of products. And mm-hmm. I feel like that has like I it, the sticks thing wouldn't even come into my head. Yeah. But I guess like you guys did it so well and you were so streamlined at the beginning that like I don't know, like you you guys have just been extremely streamlined. And so it's like those little, little things that have caught on for me. Mm-hmm. It wasn't necessarily the sticks or even like I didn't know, for example, the sustainability component. Not that that's like I should probably know that. But <laughs> do, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, that like 100%. you still have captured that market of like effortless beauty and just multi-purpose. And I know, for example, that I will never see a product from you that I need to maybe buy six others to have on my face perfectly. Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yes. I know exactly what I'm not getting from you. Exactly. And I think that's equally as important as, you know, knowing what you are getting from a brand, right? Like it, it becomes, you develop this really strong brand identity. And, you know, one of the ways we've also sustained that is through our community. They are like one of our number one contributors to product development. And, you know, they are very vocal in telling us like what they're missing and what they Mm -hmm. need and whether it's a new product innovation or a shade extension. We're very attuned and we listen. And I think it's interesting because we have a lot of people who will ask us, oh, like, you know, what's the product development process? Like, do you do focus groups? Like, you know, what are and and to be honest, like we don't really do focus groups. Like our community is our focus group. Like we'll literally just post a story on Instagram saying like, what do you want us to launch next? Or what is missing from the brand? Obviously, in addition to that, as you probably know, there's trends and there's, you know, innovation that you can find and source. But, you know, it is so important to serve your community and really understand what their needs are. So going a little bit deeper into this, how did you guys build community? Because I think you've done this extremely well. And I think your community is just really tuned in. So what are some tips you can provide to our listeners who are maybe wanting to start brands of their own or are looking to build that community? Well, it's interesting because I'm a front-facing founder. (laughs) I'm a consumer-facing founder, which was kind of a choice, but also happened kind of naturally. Mm -hmm. When we first launched the brand, actually both my sister and I were the faces of the brand. And there were a few reasons for this. Firstly, you know, we thought that... Well, firstly, as a small brand, you know, we needed models. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, so you, like, do, okay. you do all of the things <laughs> yeah. at that point. Yeah, we're like, OK, so, you know, with a lot of other large beauty brands and large conglomerates was that there was this missing personality or persona and you didn't feel an authentic relationship with the brand. We really wanted to be the faces and have that direct line of communication with 
our community, with our customers. And so I was very, very present, whether it was like literally at the start of a brand where I was on Instagram speaking to our customers every day, whether it's, you know, going on lives or, you know, responding to DMs, customer service. And I continue to do that today. And I think having that consistent brand voice was really instrumental in developing that really authentic relationship with our community. And there are founders that don't necessarily feel comfortable because I actually had this conversation recently with a friend and the pros and cons of being a front-facing founder. And even for yourself, you know, being an influencer and being a founder, you know, you're automatically, I don't know if targeted is the right way, but you have to be so cautious with not only what you do on your brand page, but what you you do on your personal page because they're so interconnected. Mm -hmm. And it does allow for both negative and positive feedback and um, criticism. And you need to be ready for that. And you need to, you know, develop some thick skin as I have over the past, you know, eight years. And as and sometimes I do wish I was behind the scenes <laughs> because I'm like, I just want to do what I want that's best for my business and not have to worry about the impact of my personal life because it causes a lot of anxiety. I feel like sometimes I'm like so caught, like overly cautious to a point where it's almost like paralyzing, right? And then it's not, you know, it's not beneficial for yourself. It's not be- beneficial for the business. So going back to your question... <laughs> No, I mean, I was I was actually going to ask you about this as well. So like, I'm I'm glad you brought it up because I mean, it is really tough. It's Mm -hmm. tough towing the line. And for me, I remember when I when like, you know, we we launched Array, I kind of had this almost like a personality crisis because up until that point, I'd been like this person, right? And it was like Sif, the founder of Icing and Glitter. And like, I had had my blog and like, that's kind of what I did. And then- Icing and Glitter. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, the, the back in the day, I, right? Yeah. From from there to go from that and that persona that I'd been for so long to now I'm the founder of Array and like people know I'm the founder of this brand. And like, it's almost like a greater responsibility because it's just, it's not you as like a, like just like you and your personal brand anymore. It's like so much greater than that. Yeah. hundred percent. It's interesting to your point of, you know, almost going through this like transformation or like metamorphosis of like identities. Right. Yeah. And I think at the end of the day, obviously, you know, there, there are definitely benefits as to being behind the scenes, but to build like a really authentic community and you know better than anyone else, you know, how to build that community yeah. from both sides. And I think that's actually how brands need to rethink community. Right. And, and why even social media became, you know, that number one marketing platform to begin with is because people were sick of flipping through magazine and seeing overproduced content and seeing, you know, unrealistic images. And so there's obviously a fine line, right? Because as a brand and and as you grow, you do become more subject to the criticism and the backlash. It's like towing the line between the two. I I get what you mean. And it's interesting because I also think that in this day and age, mm. especially with the rise of TikTok and Reels and almost this like people don't want the overproduced anymore, it almost calls for founders to kind of step in because I think people like to buy from people yes, and not just like a pie in the sky sort of thing. Like yeah. you don't know who's behind a brand. Exactly. And, you know, Nish and I have had so many conversations about, say, for example, a brand like Facebook, right? Yeah. And 
Mark Zuckerberg has come under so much scrutiny and I won't go into like the ethics behind Facebook and all of that, but I think that he's also just not someone who's put himself in front of people. So people don't know him at all or Mm -hmm. whether to trust him. And so that's why there's this like almost this mistrust. And so while I do like, I I completely get you and like, you know, it's, it's tough sometimes being Mm -hmm. a founder who's like front facing as well, but it comes with so much good as well, because Mm -hmm. you get to communicate, you know, uh, just on your own with your community and like really build that authenticity. And people like to know who they're buying from at the end of the day. Yeah. So. Exactly. And I loved the point that you you spoke to about trust, right? Mm-hmm. It is It takes a really long time to build that trust with totally. your community. Yeah. But once you do, you know, it's like gold. And you need to be so cautious to not lose that trust and, and ensure. I think I think it's almost more stressful when you actually get the trust. Oh my God, yes. I'm like, I just don't, like, I want to make sure I do right by these people. (laughs) Exactly. And then everything you do becomes, you know, it it becomes like a mission to serve them at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. So yeah, but- Like I overthink, and this is so funny because honestly, Nish and I will overthink everything from like a $1 price increase based on like some crazy supply chain thing that's happened because I'm like, how do we explain ourselves to them? And like, you know, it's always been our style to be like really transparent, but like, those are all the things that go through your head when you are in direct contact with your audience. You feel like a responsibility. Like they're like almost like your family, you know? Yeah, exactly. Like the transparency. And I think a lot of brands today who have been very transparent to their community, you know, although it could have been like a negative situation. I remember actually during COVID, we'd had so many customer service issues, like shipping was delayed. Oh my God. Like people were like literally standing outside our, not actually, but standing outside our office with pitchforks. Like they were like hounding us. I know. And I remember it came to a point because we were responding to all of these customer service issues via email and we have a team. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to hop on stories and I'm just going to say, hey guys, like this is a situation. I want to be super transparent with all of you. You know, at the, you know, we want to ensure that we're providing you with the best service as possible as we typically do. These are what the issues that we're struggling with. And if you can be patient with us, you know, it would be amazing. And we also offered like, you know, certain like additional gifts for people who had, you know, really delayed packages. Mm -hmm. But ultimately like that issue that started as like this negative, like hostile kind of conversation turned into a positive one because we were just super honest and authentic with our conversation. And so I think although brands can can be scared to do that at times because they're like, oh my God, like I don't want to, you know, showcase, you know, those really like, you know, th- those behind the scenes of my business. And, and maybe it's not the most glamorous thing at the end of the day, but I think, you know, that that honesty is is really appreciated. People like a human element and like, I'm going to go back to TikTok because it's funny. Like, you know, when we, we launched during the pandemic, right. And so it was just Nish and I like literally doing everything in our tiny little apartment in Toronto. Like it was basically a warehouse at that point, we were packing orders and all of that. And so we started TikTok just to show like some behind the scenes and our TikToks kept going viral. And it Mm -hmm. was literally just those like super unglamorous, like literally, you know, just doing everything on our own moments that Mm -hmm. resonated with people so much. And like, it helped us build that trust. And I think just that, that transparency with our customers, you know what I mean? Yeah. hundred percent. And I love TikTok for that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. People love the behind the scenes. Yeah. And the fact that you were able to build your business during the pandemic, like, (laughs) oh my God, like I want to give like, honestly, incredible. 
It like, was, it was, you know, I think that there was a real need for our products and I'm mm-hmm. really grateful that we were able to thrive, but operationally it was no joke. Like it yeah. was really hard. And, you know, you were talking about customer service and delays. Holy shit. Yeah. Like it was, it was wild. Yeah. And I mean, I, I remember one time our orders were already delayed and then UPS lost a shipment of products that was supposed to go out to customers and mm-hmm. they could not find it. And oh we were like, God. what do we even say to these people who we've already apologized to about being late? And, yeah. you know, all we could do was appeal to their human side. And I think that, thank God, Nish and I were more forward-facing founders that we could kind of do that. And people were really understanding and, you know, mm-hmm. we're lucky to have a community like that. But yeah, I think like at the end of the day, when we do talk about community, like the authenticity piece just cannot go overlooked. It's really mm-hmm. important. It's so important. It is literally at the helm of everything we do. And I think to your point about authenticity, if, if you, you know, think about your community in all aspects of your business and whether it's a $1 increase, you know, because of supply chain issues, whether it's a product development pipeline, you know, whether it's content, whether, you know, even I think about community, I think about our internal team. Mm, like totally. how are we serving our internal team? How are we, you know, ensuring that, you know, we're we're a brand that they are proud of mm-hmm. as well. So I think, you know, what you're doing externally has to match what you're doing internally as well. So it kind of comes full circle, but yeah. So <laughs> I actually have a selfish question because I am dying to ask other founders who are like me a little bit more forward facing and in the social media weeds. How do you balance being a founder and like all of the things you have to do as a founder with kind of also being on social media? Because it's fucking distracting sometimes. (laughs) Like, what the hell do you do? I'm so glad you brought this up because this was a conversation that I wanted to have with you like off the record as well. Let's talk. (laughs) Right? I'm like, I actually wanted to create a TikTok the other day and I literally wanted to have, I wanted to state a PSA. I'm like, PSA to anybody who has a brand is trying to develop their personal brand. How do you create all the content? Because like, I'm also creating content for my brand. And like, even I had all these deliverables on Friday and I was supposed to submit them to my team and I was so behind. And it's it's just becomes so, there's honestly just not enough time in the day to do both. Truly. Truly. So I think for me, what I've been able to do is really just put it aside in my day to ensure that I'm giving that time to my personal page because ultimately I know that it will benefit my brand page as well because there is a very much an overlap of community. I also, to be honest, listen, I work overtime. <laughs> like, you know, at the end of the day, like as much as we're like, oh, you know, we can, I don't understand those people who are like, I can do it all in in the span of 24 hours. Like I'm also creating content on the weekend and I'm oh also my God. Yeah, in the yeah. evenings. Like you just kind of have to have a mindset of like, you're kind of always on, which to be honest is is quite exhausting. And there are moments where I have to say, you know what, you need to take time for yourself and you you need to turn off this weekend. And I also find like the way I create content now as well is like, I try to repurpose as much as I can. Mm. So let's say I have to create all this content for nude sticks. I'm like, you know what, how can I also take this and use this for my personal page? And so that also helps by, you know, making sure I'm making, I'm using the content to the best of my ability. But yeah, it is, it's extremely difficult. Then also to your point, like differentiating between your personal and your brand, like my personal, like I do want to showcase like more behind the scenes mm-hmm. and I want to like, you know, be a little bit more maybe vulnerable or showcase more parts of my life versus my business. I'm like, okay, it's a little bit more, 
you know, maybe professional. Or I'm showing behind the scenes, but it's still a little bit more curated. And so it is it is like a constant challenge. Yeah, seriously. Do you batch the time that you spend on social media? Like, because also, and this is, by the way, like I have like very serious boundaries around this where I just mm-hmm. no longer mindlessly scroll or watch yeah. through stories. But like, what are your boundaries that you have around that? Yeah, I've like, I've loved that you have those boundaries. Like I've tried to have that. Like to your point for me, I do not scroll Instagram before I go to bed. Mm. Like that's a really big trigger for me. And it really like, it just like stimulates my brain. It's it's not, it it like raises cortisol. You can't go to bed like that. No, it just like causes so much anxiety. And so for me, I'm like before bed, I turn off, like I read or I watch a show or I listen to a podcast. I just cannot scroll Instagram. And honestly, even first thing in the morning, I try not to. I try to like wake up and I also try not to check my emails first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. I'll wake up and then I like, once I sit down, I'm at my desk. I'm like, okay, like I'm going to give myself 10 minutes to scroll through Instagram and, you know, see what's trending or what's in the news. And then I'll usually have like a bit of time at the end of the day where I'll say, okay, I have like, you know, let's say 30 minutes to go through the Newsticks Instagram, my personal page, all of our platforms to see what's going on. But I, I really love that idea of like setting aside that time to scroll, to intentionally go through those platforms because otherwise it's mindless and it's not productive. Yeah, that's the thing. Like it's it's funny because when you do the social media and the brand aspect, and Mm. I know that we kind of have that in common, you you can't not be on the apps, right? Because then you're just like blind to what's going on and how the hell do you lead that portion of the business with like zero knowledge, right? So it's more so like now I have two blocks in my calendar where it's like, at the end of the day, I have like one hour and I'll just like scroll to see what's trending on reels to see like what's going on, what's relevant. But I won't watch like just random stories. Like I just I feel like I have to be a little bit more intentional, yeah. you know, so yeah. it, it's really hard, though, because you yeah. have to like be aware yeah. but it can't take over your day. And like yeah. the apps are meant to be really addictive. It's crazy. Yeah, it is crazy. There are times where I feel like I, I have this, you know, addiction to social where I have this anxiety if I, if I don't pick up my phone, if I'm mm-hmm. not staying in, you know, in tune with what's going on. And it's almost like, you know, second nature now. Like I'm literally like, I put my phone down for five minutes and like I need to check, you know, five minutes later to see if there's anything else that's happened on, on the app. So I definitely think there's, it's like this change of, of behavior and habits that, you know, you need to be intentional about changing. Because, you know, it's not enough to say, oh, I'm just not going to look at my Facebook today, right? Like, how are you setting routines and putting additional habits in place to ensure that you're not going back to those old, you know, mindless kind of scrolling or, you know, unproductive habits on social media? So I love what you said. It goes back to what you said about like putting it in your calendar or maybe replacing that time. Like, you know, totally, totally. Like, I think like for me as well, a few years ago, I think it was like a two years ago, I like made this resolution that I just wasn't going to go on my phone first thing in the morning. And like, I, I literally made like a specific things that I would do, like get up, look at my phone right away. Instead, I was like, put everything on, do not disturb. Like, you know, tell Siri to turn my alarm off so I wouldn't even be tempted to like pick it up. Yeah. For a while, I was using my uh, Google Home to set my mm-hmm. alarm as well. It's just, I don't have it on hand with me right now. Yeah. But it, I mean, it's, it's, it's hard. Like yeah. you, you have to replace that habit with other habits for sure. Like mm-hmm. meditation was huge for me. Journaling has always been really big for mm-hmm. me, but it's, it really is an addiction. And yeah. Nish and I listened to a lot of work from this guy called Chamat, who used to be like one of the 
early, early Facebook employees who's who was like pretty instrumental to its mm-hmm. success. And he said mm-hmm. he said over and over again that like their job was like, you know, making sure that people stay on the app as long as they possibly can, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, I don't blame them. Right. I mean, that's their business. Like it's like us wanting people to use our products. Yeah. Right. But it's it's insane. Like it can really become an addiction. So like having boundaries and habits that replace certain mm-hmm. things is like important. Yeah, it, it, it's so important. I want to switch gears a little bit and actually talk about influencers because I feel like you guys have been really strategic in the way that you've worked with influencers and how you've kind of adapted your strategy over time as well. Because I remember, you know, back when you guys started, it was like more gifting. And then now I saw that you guys were doing like a collaboration with a beauty influencer for her to like pick her like curated favorites from nude sticks. So can you give anyone advice who's like starting a new brand on how to approach that whole arena? Yeah. I mean, you know, I think you know as well how much the influencer, I want to call it a industry world has evolved over the past eight to 10 years. When we first launched nude sticks, like it really was more so about seeding, right? Because it was about developing relationships. And, you know, you really didn't have like those macro influencers like you do today. It was really more so about your bloggers, your editors. And so a lot of our PR and influencer marketing had to do with seeding product, hosting events, you know, building those organic relationships. Also, as a smaller brand, we didn't necessarily have the budget to pay, you know, for these larger influencers. So seeding was you know, a really easy win for us. And all those seeding also is an additional expense, but, you know, definitely not as oh, expensive def- yeah, as paying for, sure. for like, you know, a Absolutely. YouTube video mm-hmm. or an Instagram post. And, you know, as we've evolved as a brand, you know, influencer marketing was an opportunity for us to obviously reach new communities. And we really looked at our influencers and our content creators as brand partners. It was really important to us to use influencers that genuinely love the brand, that believed in our philosophy. Actually, I think it was the founder of Tribe Dynamics who said this. Tribe is like an amazing, you know, platform for identifying like influencers and and, and media. And he said, you know, think of influencers like a magazine. You know, if a magazine, if every single page was an ad, would you read through that magazine? It's so true and so smart. Yeah, like probably not, right? So influencers themselves also have to be smart about, okay, well, I can't do ad, 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 ad. There needs to be organic content in there somewhere. And so if you seed that influencer and, you know, they have your product, they're going to have to talk about it or organically, if they obviously genuinely like the product at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have to integrate some organic content in there as well. So going back to seating, really important. But then also, again, just ensuring that you're using or working with influencers who genuinely love your brand, love your product. We love to send product as almost like a test to see, you know, if they're actually going to use it, you know, if they're going to integrate it into their routine. And it is a little bit of a catch-22 sometimes because, you know, they obviously want to get paid for their work, which they should be. They should get paid for their work. But I think like any relationship, whether it's, you know, an influencer relationship, a business relationship, you know, there's always a little bit of like, you know, give and take in the beginning or the first stages of that building that, you know, to develop a sustainable and long and long term Mm -hmm. relationship. Another way we've loved working with influencers is through collaborations. You know, we want our partners, our influencers to feel like they have a larger stake in the partnership. And so a way we've done that is through like custom kits. 
So giving them the opportunity to look at our assortment and say, you know, these are my absolute favorite products. I want to create a value bundle for my community that's exclusive. It's limited edition, you know, and they, you know, offer it to their community. You know, we offer it on our site. Sometimes we'll offer it to retailers as well. So they get the exposure from a retail perspective, you know, and it's a great, you know, it's a great introduction to the partnership because it's existing SKUs. So, you know, we're not going to customize any additional shades and they're also introducing the brand to their community. And then once that happens, you know, there's always opportunity to maybe do more of a custom collab. So maybe they actually develop a shade like with a Canadian influencer. We've recently launched one of our nudie shade called Picante. It's a beautiful orange blush. And is that with Alana? That's with Alana. Oh my God. She was like one of my early podcast guests. Really? Yeah. Oh my God. She's awesome. And she has always been a fan of the brand and she has created custom, like curated kits with us. And last year created her first ever custom nudie shade that she developed. And it's like one of our best selling shades. And she like just was so passionate about obviously the brand itself. But then like the fact that she actually got to create her own shade was like a really big deal and super exciting. So that's another way we've loved, you know, working with influencers. And I think, you know, really ensuring that you have a strong retention plan as well, because as great as great as it is to like send product or do a one off collaboration, if you're not, you know, always thinking about that person or that influencer, whether it's their birthday or making sure they're getting your latest product launches on a consistent basis, you know, or, you know, communicating with them on social, you know, they'll eventually like forget about you or like any relationship, right? Like it'll just kind of fizzle out. So that's also really important when building. It's, it's really smart what you just said, Mm -hmm. because it's true. Like Mm -hmm. I think going above and beyond, just like you would in a, in a relationship with these people that are brand fans and influencers is incredibly important. And I feel like it's just, it's like almost common sense, but people don't think of it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, it's really interesting because I've seen certain influencers who had been talking about nude sticks like years ago, still talking about nude sticks today. So, I mean, it's a testament to the good product, but obviously like what you guys do with your relationships as well, it definitely works. Thank you. I want to talk about virality because I have done this exercise like prior to our interview where I went on YouTube and just typed in nude sticks and the number of videos on there of people doing full face nude sticks, like, you know, raving about the product. It's, it's kind of unbelievable. Oh my God. Yay. What (laughs) was that moment where you started to notice like YouTubers creating, um, like real content for you guys from like in an organic capacity? Like, was there like a moment where you were like, holy shit, like this is really turning into something. I would say like maybe 2016, 2017, we did have a big YouTube strategy because YouTube was, you know, the the big platform, right? Like it strategy was- Strategy fucking works, right. let me tell you. Exactly. Yes, it is. That is a converting platform, right? If you're sitting down in front of your computer watching a YouTube video, like there's intent right there. Yeah, YouTube, I would say probably when we launched, yeah, Sephora in 2016 and the brand started to get a little bit more awareness and traction. And we also like intentionally would work with like really big YouTube influencers. We also partnered at the time with Ipsy. I don't know if you're familiar with Ipsy. They're an amazing team. They now, they have their subscription boxes. But back then, I believe they still have it in LA. They have YouTube studios. What they used to do, and then they may do this still, is they would almost like incubate influencers in a way where Mm. they would have a studio and anyone who wanted to become an influencer or maybe had a, you know, a smaller following. Like I remember um, Desi Perkins, you know, started with Ipsy 
or oh. you know was in it was I guess under the Ipsy umbrella at one point Lester Lux as well and a few like heavy hitters that like we know today is like your kind of your big yeah you know YouTubers started with Ipsy and so we did a lot of events with them we worked with them on their subscription boxes we and when you would work with them on their subscription boxes they actually had you know within their contract they had x amount of their YouTubers that were underneath Ipsy that had to talk about your product so if if that makes sense so it was a great way to obviously like obviously have access to the Ipsy consumer base in their community, but also have access to the influencers that were underneath the Ipsy umbrella as well. So they were a great partner in that sense. And I also think just like organically, once you kind of have your larger influencers kind of talking about the brand, it kind of trickles down and you have other, you know, maybe smaller YouTubers who are like, oh, like, you know, let me see what all the hype is about or let me, you know, try nude sticks and see what's up. So yeah. I mean, it's been it's been cool to watch your journey. If you had one tip around time management because you do a lot of shit, (laughs) what would it be? I mean, I would say setting priorities. As basic as that sounds, at least for me, I I have ADD and ADHD. Well, I have ADHD. So I find it very difficult to multitask. And if I don't write down exactly what I need to do in the beginning of the day, if I don't set priority tasks, then nothing's getting done. Yeah. Um, Or I'm getting everything done, but it's all half-assed. So for me, it's really about, you know, setting those priorities right at the beginning of the day to ensure that, you know, those are the top three, five, 10 things I need to get done. And then once that's done, okay, like now my mind can go other places and I can be creative and I can start doing all the other things. Love that. I do the same thing. And I highly, highly recommend tell Mm -hmm. everyone where they can find you shop nude sticks. Tell us everything. You can find nude sticks on Instagram, on TikTok at nude sticks. You can find our skincare at Nude Stick Skin on Instagram. Shameless self-promotion. And then you can find my personal handle at, at Taylor underscore Frankel. Amazing. Thank you so much, Taylor. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday. So come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people. Learn and unlearn and have a lot of fun. See you next week. Thank you.